As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast with me, Greg O'Keefe and Patrick Boyland. Okay, so we're not, as we'd hoped, able to bring you a podcast bursting with ebullience and joy from three points in the Merseyside derby, but we've certainly got a lot of talking points and Everton remain top of the league. In the meantime, <laughs> as you might have noticed, there is, as I say, plenty to talk about from a really chaotic an eventful derby at Goodison, which of course finished in a 2-2 draw on Saturday. Um, we've already had our say in article in, in our initial article from the game, and there'll be plenty more coming this week. And don't forget that for a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to Athletic for just a pound a month. Um, you can read all of our stuff on the blues and so much more, including my, my piece this morning on Ancelotti's response to Pickford's performance in the derby this weekend. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. And you can sign up there for just £1 a month. Anyway, on with the show pad. Like I say, it was a chaotic derby and probably the talking point, certainly for the rest of football. Uh, it, it's just one of many for us. But for the rest of football, it, it was the instant between Jordan Pickford and Virgil van Dijk. Uh, it still rumbles on. What did you make of all that? <laughs> you know what? I, I mean, it's it's obviously a, a couple of days now after the derby we, we're recording on on Monday morning. And I don't know if I've still fully got my head around this and all mm. the different things that are being said and the different angles. I think as an, as an immediate response, it's obviously a really bad tackle. It's, it's done serious injury to Virgil van Dijk. So Liverpool will feel the repercussions of that. Mm. I think it's probably another example of Jordan Pickford. Probably, in, in fact... Definitely not intentional, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know how anybody can suggest it was without being a mind reader. Um, and I think stuff over that is pretty incendiary. The, the, the suggestions that we're seeing from some that it was intentional, I think, just whips people up into a hysteria. That means that already we're seeing people threatening Jordan Pickford, particularly on social media. So th- there's a lot to unpack here, but it is obviously a bad tackle. Jordan Pickford is saved from giving away a penalty and it would have been a penalty but for the offside call and mm. yes, Virgil van Dijk is marginally offside. Really bad tackle, really rash 
I think what he's trying to do, and again, note the opposite word, think. Nobody apart from Jordan Pickford knows what his intention was. Certainly not <laughs> uh, Graham Souness or Martin Keown or Steve mm. McManaman or anybody commenting on this. I think mm. the intention from Pickford, he was scrambling to recover a bad situation for Everton, i.e. Virgil van Dijk clear at the back post. He's making himself big. He's trying to narrow the angle and save the shot. But it's rash. It's really rash, if we're being honest. And yes, it has caused serious injury. So I think we saw, and maybe it's worth talking about Pickford in more detail and his, where this fits into a wider picture, because this is not the first incident that we've had to discuss with regards to Jordan Pickford this season. It wasn't the first last season. He's always the centre of discussion now. I actually find it a little bit boring, to be honest, that we're always talking about Jordan Pickford and we're always talking about Jordan Pickford after another fairly decent Everton result, things all being told. Everton are still unbeaten this season. They are still, after five games, on 13 points, which is a fantastic start to the campaign. There were loads of things in the performance that are worth commenting on. But the discussion always goes back to Pickford and in part that's his own fault. In, pa- mm. in part, not totally, because he's come out and he's made a rash challenge. And I think your piece touched on this really well. Um, and it's, it's really measured given the hysteria around this tackle at the moment. This idea that in one game you can see every different face of Jordan Pickford. Yeah. And in a nutshell, it, it's, a, it's almost like the perfect microcosm of who he is. So you've got... If, if we start and we go through this chronologically, the tackle on Van Dijk, all the things that could have happened there, it could have been a penalty if it, if it wasn't for the offside, maybe could have been sent off if it hadn't been reviewed by VAR, but it was, so that's why he wasn't sent off. He then makes, what would you say, two to three outstanding saves, yeah. particularly the one in the second half from Joel Matip, and just gives a little hint every now and then as to why people persevere with this lad, both at international level and the club level. He's not being blocked, uh, not being dropped by Southgate. He's not being dropped by Ancelotti or Marco Silva. People persevere with him for reasons, and you touched on it. It's his, it's his distribution at times, although not always. And it's the fact that every now and then he pulls off blinding saves that you don't expect goalkeepers to make. The problem is, he then probably, well, he definitely should save the shot from Henderson at the end. I don't know if you heard Martin Keown's pretty famous quote that I, I'm still laughing about now uh, on the BT coverage. You were at the game, so probably not. No, I didn't. He said, Jordan Pickford got too much of an arm on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, does that, what does that even mean? But the, the reason that he concedes the goal is not because he got too much of an arm on it, let's be honest. The re- it's no. because he didn't get enough of a hand on it, um, which he should save. And in the microcosm, you've got a goal, you've got an error, which... Everton was saved from because it was disallowed for a marginal, albeit offside call. Uh, You've got a couple of fantastic saves and you've got a really rash challenge. And I don't think, and hopefully I'm not doing Jordan Pickford a massive disservice here, I don't think you can get away with having a goalkeeper that erratic over a long period of time. So the task for him is to to not be the centre of the the debate. Um, Let's talk about James Rodriguez doing loads of really good things on a football pitch. Let's talk about Calvert-Lewin scoring goals. Richarlison, when he's on the pitch, and of course he's going to be suspended now, what Richarlison brings to this Everton side, Luca Dean's continued excellence, Seamus Coleman's captaincy. There are loads of issues you can discuss with this Everton side. 
but we, we keep going back time and time again to Pickford. So I'm, I'm a little bit sick of it, to be honest. Um, and I, while some of it may be merited for the erratic performances, uh, I, I, I found the pylon um, worrying, to, to be frank. The pylon synth a bit worrying and the, the abuse and the death threats and stuff. I think people are going across a line. Um, and we need to kind of row back a little bit and kind of realise that this this was a football match and it was a bad tackle. But but some of the things that are being said are incendiary, in my opinion. Well, I agree. There, there's a lot of really incendiary stuff, particularly on on Twitter. And you know, while the, the disappointment in some quarters from from Anfield is understandable, given mm. you know the, the ramifications for for them and and, and look, it is, personally. isn't it? We we accept that. I think I think you've got to yeah. be honest and say that. Liverpool have got a point over how bad the challenge is. I don't think anybody is disputing that. And if Jordan Pickford had been sent off, I don't think many Everton fans would have been disputing it either. I don't think the discussion is about that. I think it's about the way we respond to things like that. We cover Everton for a living. We we watch Everton when we're not there for recreationally out of enjoyment don't we? we we go to these matches we were both present at the at the game in november last november mm-hmm. between everton and, and tottenham where son yeah. does not mean to put andre gomez out for six months he, mm. he does not but he does mean to tackle the player and he, he, he kicks out and these things happen on a football pitch and they you would you would hope that they don't happen and it, it's not good it's not good that things like that happen let's, let's be frank but they do, and I, I don't quite remember this much of a pile on on Son with regards to death threats and stuff after after the tackle. So I think we just need to be very very careful. Now that's that's my opinion, but I, I thought your piece was really good and really measured on it. And I, I, I wonder. I think that the thing for Everton to focus on now, first of all, is establishing whether Jordan Pickford is going to be out for games. But I also wonder from. I mean, from your point of view, your piece is basically on how Everton are likely to respond. So for those that haven't read that piece, how are Everton likely to respond in your opinion? (laughs) Well, thanks, Tommy. Yeah, I think the immediate, when I was speaking to people on Saturday evening, and um, as far as I know, this remains the case now really, is that there's a bit of a closing of ranks around around the first team squad. No, like part of, just going back quickly to what you were saying, I completely agree with what you were saying there. But part of the problem that Evertonians must feel like, similarly to us, that they're sick of the discussion. It's mm. difficult to get away with it because even if you dis this you know sort of dislocate the the part about the wider controversy and, and whether he should have been sent off and and the injury, very serious injury to Van Dijk, it's still there's still a conversation to be had if it if it wasn't for VAR saving his blushes yeah. about yeah. yet another blip, uh, yet another costly uh, error, if you like if mm-hmm. that Jordan Henderson goal is given. So it's difficult to get away from. But yeah, in Everton, I think there is. He, look, he's hugely popular. The dressing room's closed around him. Some of the staff around the first team are sort of saying that they feel a lot of the criticism he's getting is unfair. They feel he's kind of suffering as well from the being the the you know the national goalkeeper, the sort of constant speculation. And I know there was a piece on, on The Athletic last week, which I read, you know, it's sort of... Um, it's never enough when you're England's number one. You know, whatever you do, it's never enough. Uh, mm. And I did think it was a little harsh when he was he was dragged into the uh, the criticism around Kyle Walker and the penalty England conceded against Denmark. But mm. you know, and I, and I think that's a view shared at Everton. Equally, yeah. I think 
you know, we, we spoke to Conor Ancelotti after the game. He remained absolutely insistent that he's not concerned. And I think he's always going to take that stance publicly. It's very, very, yeah. very rare, if never, that he'll dig out a player. But he must be concerned privately because, like I say, you know, the sort of the vagaries of VAR did save us. Without that, you know, he's lost that derby. Momentum does tank. Um, and he's left looking at his goalkeeper. Look, you might have read a piece today, for, you know, from him or, or quotes from him about Robin Olsen. He's brought Olsen in clearly to do more than just sit on the bench and and, and do effectively what um, Jonas Lossel was doing last season and you know, Martin Stekelenberg at, at times. I think he's there to to put pressure on Pickford, um, but he also buys uh, he buys Ancelotti a little bit of time. He's on loan. He's not Sergio Romero, who's one they did want to bring in, who was seriously looking to play. Um, that's not to say Olsen isn't looking to play but I think it's it, it's a halfway house between a direct new number one and someone who can just increase the pressure on Pickford and give him a stronger option um, and I don't know about you Pad but I don't think Ancelotti for all his loyalty and for all his diplomacy I don't think that he, he'll prevaricate for too long if this becomes clear that it's not just a massive slump in form but if it's this is Pickford now and say we were to drift into Jack Butland territory, for example, he's not going to waste any time in doing something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you know what? The, the, the thing for me is that we've we've been in these press conferences now probably for the last couple of months and we've heard Ancelotti continually back this lad. But yeah. something changes, doesn't it, when he when he makes the decision after the error against Brighton to look to bring in another goalkeeper. The stance up to then had always been Jordan Pickford's good enough and we've got competition for him with Lossell and Virginia in particular last season to Kellenberg. The change of rhetoric happened in the Brighton game and up to then it had always been exactly what I was saying there that we were fully behind Jordan Pickford. After Brighton, I remember Ancelotti said to us, if I've got something to say to Jordan, I'm going to say it to his face, not here. And that, that shows you the policy and you, you've hinted at it there yourself. It's that it's not about publicly calling this lad out. Carlo will not do that. What, what he will do is he'll have words in private and they've made the decision to try and bring in some more competition for him. And Everton feel that Olsen is a better option at the moment than Jonas Lossel, clearly. That's why they brought him in. That's why they targeted another keeper. I think I, it would have been fantastic if Romero had come in because I think he would have pushed Pickford even more. Um, but potentially had the um, the ability to usurp him, but for a number of reasons that didn't get over the line. And now you're looking at, like you say, if it, the, the discussion is already about Jordan Pickford because of the tackle and because of the late offside goal, disallowed goal from Henderson. If Everton had lost that game, it would have been even more so. And you do wonder what would have happened to him and whether he'd have kept his place. I guess Everton are right to kind of close ranks and, and try and protect their player like you say he's he's particularly popular he lives in the the same part of South Manchester slash Cheshire as Michael Keane and Mason Holgate get on with those two really well Uh, he's a popular figure in the dressing room they're obviously a similar age to him Um, and they they, before Covid obviously they would have socialised together so I don't think anybody at Everton is prepared to kind of ostracise this lad. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, both with any potential res- retrospective action. There's still conflicting reports over that. And also 
what Everton do with the with the goalkeeping shirt. Um, maybe his blushes have been spurred slightly on that one with the with the late goal being disallowed. I just keep going back to the point that it's it's such a shame that we're just talking about Jordan Pickford here because I think that was an absolutely crazy Merseyside derby. And there are probably another 10, 15 discussion points that you could get to here. Um, and you, you could talk about the match and what happened in the match all day. Well, I mean, let, let's do that for for, um, for a while then, because it's, it's an, like a pleasant and also extremely relevant uh, <laughs> series of topics for us from, from a blue perspective. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, I said at the top of the of the pod, didn't I, that we remain top and look, Mm-hmm. That momentum stays with us. Um, what I was disappointed with, and it's a it's a two pronged thing, isn't it? Because yeah, we didn't lose the game, uh, and and that in itself was was really good. I think Liverpool's level was much more what what we've expected from Liverpool. It was always going to be a, a misnomer that seven uh, two, and I thought they played really well in patches. What it's hard to find the balance between how how much they were just playing very very well and how we were having to combat that and not not able to be as expansive and free-flowing and uh, as we have been in other games. I, st- I can't help but feel that we weren't still at our best, and I think there's reasons for that. I don't think Richarlison was fully fit. I don't think Seamus Coleman was fully fit. They lost Seamus Coleman, obviously, during the game, which is, yeah. which is another blow, which, isn't it? Which is exactly a blow, yeah, yeah precisely. I mean... Just as a, and look, I'm not comparing the two because you know they've obviously got a real. Uh, it's very difficult for them without Van Dijk long term, but they lost one of their key players. We lost one of ours um, in the game too, which kind of gets forgotten. Um, I, you know, Gomez, Andre Gomez's performance was an issue. But what what did you make of, of Everton's performance overall? I, I think first of all, you, you're right about Liverpool. And that, that wasn't the question, so apologies. No, no, but, yeah, but yeah. You, you're right about Liverpool. I think we expected a response from them, and from what I've seen of their recent performances, they were operating at a completely different level yeah. in the derby on Saturday. At times, they were the better outfit, and probably for for large swathes of the game. In my opinion, I, I, I tweeted that I think maybe from about fifty to seventy, Everton were the better side, and carved out a number of chances. So Calvert Lewin just failed to connect to. A lovely cross from Luca Dean. Yeah, Richarlison probably should score with his header at the back post. Although his his momentum's going the other way, so it it's more difficult maybe than it looks. James has a curler saved when I think he probably should have slipped in Richarlison uh, in between fullback and and centre back. That was the only period of the game where I thought thought that Everton had a real foothold. Um, and there's a, a sense of disappointment in that because I mean we were talking about it earlier, weren't we? Just just privately us two and. Uh, I said that maybe that was Everton's worst performance of the season in spells, in, certainly in the Premier League. I probably stand by that. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of, particularly Liverpool fan channels and Liverpool fan sites, saying that Everton were at their absolute top and still couldn't beat Liverpool. I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I don't think Everton's midfield was at it. And in part, that was to do with how good Thiago was in the second half and how good 
Henderson in particular was in the, and Fabinho were in the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they just had the, the run of the midfield. It wasn't helped by the fact that quite a lot of Everton's lads and quite a lot of Everton's key players came back late. Some of Liverpool's did too, but I think Everton's lads came back late, some of them nursing injuries. Let's not forget, I mean, we've not spoken about Luka Dean yet, but he, he, he limped off in the, in the France game against Croatia. <laughs> yeah. Seamus Coleman was nursing that knock. James got back really late, having played 90 minutes for Colombia across the other side of the world against Chile. Arturo Vidal's Chile. Um, Yeri Mina was a doubt heading into the game. Richarlison, I agree, still not really fully at it. And, he, and let's, let's be honest, he was limping, wasn't he? He was in, in the first half when Coleman went off, Everton had a concern over Richarlison as well. So I think there was a kind of a perfect storm that meant that Liverpool were right back at it and they got their response. They were able to bring Mane and Thiago back. And I think actually we will see this season that they are their two best players, Mane and Thiago with, with Van Dijk. Mane, absolutely crucial to the way they play. Thiago will become crucial as well when, he, when he's bedded in. Everton were second best, I think, in midfield. But did carve out a number of chances. And that this idea of total Liverpool dominance is just mm. not borne out by the numbers. I mean, no. I think the XG, the Opta XG was, I think, about 0.5 in Liverpool's favour. Which, if, if you're going on degrees of fairness, Opta's own degrees of fairness, that probably wouldn't do them enough to, to get more than a 2-2 draw. So while they had marginally better chances, not massively better chances. And I think you've got to praise Everton. We, we Again, something we've discussed in private. You've got to praise Everton for losing their captain, going behind twice, but finding a way, just finding a way to get back into the game and at times cling on to Liverpool's fingernails here while not playing well themselves. Uh, Calvert-Lewin's goal, absolutely magic in terms of the leap his ability to redirect it back across goal. I think that's a really tough skill, but it, he makes it look ridiculously easy. Yeah. And Everton, are, Ever, Everton, Everton are so lucky to have a player of his ability in this form at the moment, influencing most side derbies. A question for you. I think that's probably the best all-round centre-forward display we've seen from an Everton striker in a Merseyside derby, probably since Lukaku in 13-14 when he scored twice. And it might have been a better all-round performance than Lukaku's because while he scored one goal to Lukaku's two, I just think everything stuck with Calvert-Lewin. And he was winning headers and he was running the channels and he was bringing the ball into his chest and knocking defenders. Just about everything stuck with him. Mm. So I just I thought it was an absolutely fantastic performance from him up front. So I don't know, I, I don't know if you agree. Funny one, Calvert-Lewin. I, I'm not sure I agree with you that it was like the complete performance really because... As much as I thought his goal was absolutely fantastic, and you're right, the way he gets up for these crosses now is there's there's nobody or a few better than him. Um, so certainly he's up there with Kane, and and it's, it's just tremendous. I was so disappointed he couldn't convert that low cross from Dean, and I sort of think to get yeah. to the the next level. And this is being harsh, I know, but he needs to be putting them away. Um, hmm. What I found interesting, and this may well have been a tactical instruction, certainly in, if Richarlison was feeling limitations, is he seemed to, I don't know what you, what you think of this, he seemed to run the channels more than I sort of think he has been traditionally. He yes. almost went back yeah. to like the old Calvert-Lewin where I'll be looking at him outside in the, that right-hand channel and thinking, 
why aren't you in the box? This is not, this is, you've stopped doing this and it's helping your game massively. He seemed to go back to that a little bit, but that could no, well have been as a tactical instruction. I think I think it will have been because so much of the emphasis here after the Aston Villa game, the 7-2, and in the build-up to the derby, was on Liverpool's high line and mm. the space you could exploit in the channels. If you think about it with Richarlison not being fully fit and James Rodriguez always drifting inside in possession on, from that right into the centre, Everton didn't really have anybody to, to get in behind. So he almost fulfilled two roles here Calvert-Lewin he was running the channels and he was also trying to get in the box uh, yeah he, he probably should have scored the, the low cross from Luca Dean what we're seeing now I think is a real strength of Everton in so far as they're getting Dean and James mm. into good advanced crossing positions and those guys are so good with their delivery among the best crosses of the ball in the league Calvert-Lewin among the best headers of the ball in the league, if not the best from an attacking sense at the moment. And it's how you stop that. Jurgen Klopp said, didn't he, after I mean, his, his comment in his, in his interview afterwards, he said, I could hear the, the Everton bench shouting yes when Hammers released, released um, Dean down the left for that cross <laughs> because it was almost like you knew what was coming. Yeah, yeah. And when there's a sense of inevitability like that about something, I, I, I think it shows the fear in the opposition sides over some of the elements to Everton's game, but also how difficult it is to stop because Klopp will have been fully aware and the Liverpool defenders will have been fully aware of Dean's crossing, Hammonds' crossing and uh, and Calvert-Lewin's heading. So I, I thought it was close to an exceptional performance from him and it would have been if he'd converted that other chance. I mean, let's not forget early on in the game, he gets rattled by Van Dijk um, and does well to recover from that because I thought it was a little bit naughty from Van Dijk there's another one on Hamers, yeah. which is a little bit naughty a few minutes later. And I know the BBC live commentary picked up on that and suggested Van Dyke was was being a little bit naughty with some of his tackles. So I, I think it would be slightly unfair to just solely talk about some of the tackles from, from Everton place. Exactly. You know, Robertson was very, very fortunate, I think. Uh, for getting it's away a kick out, the, isn't it? it yeah. It's a kick out. It's a challenge it? on a land. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you can talk about potential calls for a penalty. We're talking on Richarlison's shirt. Um, and, but you're right. Uh, look, you know, not to conflate it with what happened to Van Dyke, but Van Dyke was, I thought the challenge on Calvert-Lewin was, was cynical. And I thought he knew exactly what he was doing on Rodriguez, you know, Everton's best player. And he, he was trying to intimidate him and he was trying to, you know. Throwing his weight he, around. Throwing his weight around, let's say. Um, and, you know, you never know what can happen when you do that. But again, I've got to be clear, I'm not conflating that with what happened No, there, no, no, Ab- just, absolutely not. And, and obviously the, the, the tackle on Jordan Pickford was much worse than anything. Much, much worse. Did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So to, to, to reflect on a game, we did lose two key men, and that's going to be an issue now. Certainly Richarlison in terms of, you know, his red cards. Again, I have to say, you know, thoroughly deserved three-match ban. And then Coleman, we're not sure yet what the hamstring problem is is going to mean for him, how many games he's going to miss. But mm, the signs didn't look fantastic for him being fit for Southampton. How how do we begin? Let's start with Richarlison. What, what do you make of this? How do we begin to kind of, um, well, replace in inverted commas one of our most important players? Maybe this is a bit pessimistic, but I don't think you can fully replace mm. Richarlison. He's, he's that good and he's that important to the Everton system. We, we've already spoken there about the need among the front three for somebody to break the lines with their running. James is not going to do it. Ideally, you want Calvert-Lewin in the box. So, in effect, he's the one that provides that thrust, that aggression in possession, driving at the opposition, coming off that left. But also, with his pressing, with his heading, he's a goal scorer, he's now starting to create a bit more. Um, I think he's kind of the heartbeat at times of this Everton side. Um, and a bit of a talisman, certainly was last season in an attacking sense. With that range of abilities, that ability to press, to go, to drop in and take the ball and drive at the opposition, or to go in behind, to score goals, to score headers, to link as well as he does do with uh, Luca Dean and Calvert-Lewin up front, I don't think you can replace somebody like Richarlison within the current squad. And I think you've got to go for an option that goes some of the way to doing some of the things that he does uh, as a kind of best-case scenario. So what are the options available to Ancelotti? Well, you'd have to consider Alex Awobi comes into contention in a greater sense, even than he has done recently. You've got to consider Bernard and Anthony Gordon to be other options. I, I actually would leave Bernard in that left-sided role of the three in midfield for now. Uh, I think he's probably long-term better there than he is as a winger. And I would suggest that because of the things we discussed over the need to replicate Richarlison's running, that while Iwobi offers creativity, and it's quite clear that he does have um, creative juices in his bones, I actually think that I might be tempted to go with Anthony Gordon here and just try and get Anthony to pick up the ball five, ten times a game drive at the opposition, come inside, have shots at goal. We know he's good curling the ball um, from that side. He might not be quite as aggressive out of possession. He might not win quite as many headers. But I almost think that that's a better fit stylistically than Iwobi. And I think if you end up with a front three of Iwobi, Hammers, and Calvert-Lewin, it's almost a bit one-paced. Yeah. A, Hammers and Iwobi are kind of looking to do the same thing on opposite sides and uh, what what works about Everton's front three at the moment with Richarlison, I think, is the variation and the variety in the game. So, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to hear what you have to say, to be honest, because I, I, I think that maybe in some parts of his game, Iwobi's more advanced than Gordon. But I actually think that maybe Gordon is the better fit here for replacing Richarlison for three games. Well, I agree with you. And I know that uh, the, the sort of feeling would be that it's a Wobie, but I just, like like you would share concern that there's not enough variety then in, in your front three. I think Gordon offers you something which um, 
well, you know, not exactly akin to Richarlison because like, not many players do, but he certainly offers you some pace, some dynamism, some directness, and I think he tracks back a lot as well. Um, we were talking about this last night or, or earlier today, weren't we, in terms of... Um, I think it might be a case of horses for course in terms of he might use a Wobi if he, if he thinks he would fit tactically in this three-game block. Um Maybe against Southampton and Newcastle away from home, given that they, they consider that they're tougher games in theory, and maybe they require a little bit more physicality. I don't know, but that 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 would maybe be the rationale for using a Wobi from from Ancelotti's point yeah, of view. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I'm not even sure for the Wobi's like undeniable physicality in terms of his athleticism. I'm not even sure he offers that much. He's not exactly someone who who um, who is like a physical presence in a sense is he's there to no. in, in a sense his stature is like a bit of a misnomer because he's more of like a, a creative player to try and unlock defences isn't he and you know with his, his sort of like uh, his dribbling ability and going in inside and outside and um, I'd like to see Gordon get a chance I'd, I'd I would really like to would. see Iwobi playing at times against opposition that's sitting at home I would like to see him in that left side of central midfield role Mm. With the assurance that you've got Ducore and Alan alongside you to do the dirty work, I'd like to see him because effectively the guy on the left of that triangle, if you include Calvert Lewin as well, the guy on the left of that triangle has to effectively just funnel the ball to Richarlison and Dean, doesn't he? Yeah. Now, I think Iwobi is absolutely capable of doing that. What he's not capable of doing is running behind like Richarlison does and being aggressive like Richarlison does. Yeah, it's an interesting exactly. point you make about his physicality because he's built, he's more built than Richarlison, but it's about yeah. mentality. I don't think he, I, don't, I agree, I don't think he does use his physicality. So maybe maybe Gordon doesn't, but I just think Gordon's quicker. I, I remember speaking to people around the first team about Gordon. Um, they were surprised by how quick he was in kind of 100 metre dashes that they do sometimes and in sprint drills, just how quick he was. He's right up there actually, and he needs to show that more. He needs to show how quick he is. But that that would be my option. I'd, I think I'd probably go for that. I just wonder if caution comes in here and they almost defer to the senior player, in quotation marks, with a Wobi. But it's nice that we've got that option, isn't it? It's, it's nice that there are a few options there, even though it's a big blow to lose with Charleston. It's nice to see. And if, if Everton get through these games with a Wobi or Gordon having performed really well on that left-hand side, then it only strengthens the, the feeling of competition in the squad. It only reinforces the feeling that Everton are going somewhere. Um, so it's a big test, but one that hopefully they pass. Absolutely. And just uh, just quickly as well, I think Godfrey did really well, didn't yeah. he, in terms of being plunged into the the, the maelstrom of a derby on, on his debut, certainly down dealing with Liverpool's left side as well. You know, he must have been... Do you think it helped? A baptism of fire. To, possibly, yeah. It possibly did help. Um, you know, he certainly looked for me as somebody who, who can, you know, he can play there. We know that. And he did, he more than held his own against Mane and Robertson. Do you think he's he's the answer over, over K maybe, depending on yeah. how long Coleman's out? It was it was a bit of a leading question there from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, as you and others could probably tell. I, I do think it helped. And the reason I think it helped was because Coleman had a bit of an issue. And I think with the first goal... Maybe because he was feeling his hamstring, he almost didn't commit, yeah. and was in like left in this halfway house. If he'd gone touch tight to Robinson and, and blocked him off at source, 
then that wouldn't have been a goal. And if he dropped off and not allowed Robertson to waltz past him, it probably wouldn't have been a goal either. Woods. Mm. He, he kind of went in between the two and allowed that space in behind to get caught. And Godfrey comes on and he's a defender first and foremost. Big physical unit, really quick, certainly quicker than Seamus Coleman. I'm probably now up there with the quickest in the Everton squad. And I think in, in the main, he did very well against Mane. It was an assured debut. I think you've got to praise his temperament coming into this situation, particularly off the bench, which is tougher. It's tougher to come off the bench and get the pace of a game like that, uh, that frenetic Merseyside derby pace. I think he handled himself, acquitted himself really well. The discussion obviously now is if Seamus is out, and let's see on that one because there'll need to be further tests this week. But if Seamus is out, do you go with Ben Godfrey or John Joe Kenny? I actually reckon I might be in the minority in saying that I would still go for John Joe Kenny over um, over Ben Godfrey. But what do you think? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't expect you to say that. Um, <laughs> most people are yeah. going to say most people are going to say Godfrey. By the way, and I, I I understand why. But yeah, what, what would you go for? Well, yeah, I think pe- look, people are going to say Godfrey, aren't they? Look, putting aside is, and I agree with everything you said about his performance. They'll say that because he's a new signing. There's the thrill of the new, the money we spent on him. Whereas Kenny's <laughs> doesn't feel very fashionable, does he? Really, in many ways, you know, kind of um, the, the, a debate about whether he's the future. However, I'd say in certain games, a specialist right-back who's played a lot of games in the Premier League and in Bundesliga at right-back, who, again, has got a decent pace, is good defensively. I think actually that's to be really to be to be prized um, rather than kind of fitting a slightly square peg into a round hole. I know, again, Godfrey's got experience at right-back. So he's not right-back, right is he? He's, no, he's not. He's, not. He, he, he's a really promising central defender, and if you need to, but uh, it's kind of for me like playing someone like Mason Holgate at fullback. Um, whereas you've got a specialist there in Kenny, who has done nothing to suggest he doesn't deserve this opportunity. This is why he's still at the club to deputise for James Coleman. Uh, yeah. So I think you've almost got to. I I agree, and I think if John Joe Kenny doesn't play now, if Seamus is out, when will he play? Um, and maybe that's a debate for future episodes and for for some way down the line. But we'll certainly see in the near future. I just I just think if you if you boil down how important Seamus Coleman has been to this Everton side so far, it's been in providing the width and the thrust again. That word again, thrust from right back. And I don't think Kenny's quite as dynamic, but he did do a good job of it for Schalke as a wing back. Um, proving that he could get to the byline and get crosses in. Godfrey could maybe do some of that, but let's get it straight. He's been brought in as a centre-back that can fill in elsewhere if needed. His traits are that of a centre-back. He's not, I don't think, going to whip in the kind of cross that maybe a Luca Dean could produce or a John Joe Kenny could produce because he's always played in field. He's always played in the centre of the pitch, at mid, in the midfield or at centre-back. And frankly, you don't end up crossing the ball in those areas, do you? So I, I almost I almost think you've got to you've got to trust John Joe here. It's gonna be a barometer of where he's at and whether he's able to to put pressure on Seamus Coleman. If he's not, he's gonna to have to look at his own future and Everton gonna to have to look at his future. Um I, I reckon most people listening to this, and I'd be interested to hear, I think most people listening to this would go for Godfrey. But I think if you want something more in an attacking sense. You want to try to go some of the way to replicating what Coleman did. You actually go for John Joe Kenny in this scenario. I do think we might be in a minority there, but 
it would be fascinating to uh, to to widen the debate or to let us know on Twitter what you think. Um, right, I think that's time up for for this part. Uh, we should mention as well. There's a really interesting piece, uh, Andy Mitten, uh, one who writes for covers Manchester United, amongst others for us, uh, has done an interview with Morgan Schneiderlin, um, who, as we know, joined Nice in the summer. Um, and yeah, it, it, it goes into some detail in his time in Everton, but particularly the incident that dogged is the end of his Everton career, really, in the sort of uh, fabled training ground incident with Kevin Morales and Duncan Ferguson. Well worth a read. I thought that was quite uh, it was quite uh, an eye opener for me. Good, good piece. It allowed him to put his own opinion across. I don't think, judging by the comments on the piece itself and the comments to my post about it on social media. I don't think it necessarily change Everton will change Everton fans' minds about him. I think those opinions have set in. He still denies, and I think this is the crux of it, he still denies that alleged bust-up in training, along with Kevin Morales, where they were supposedly asked if or told to leave the training session. He denies that. And some of the other Everton coaching staff, if we're being fair, including Ferguson and David Unsworth, also deny that. But... From that point, he said that he felt things changed and they did change. And I have to be honest, I was really disappointed with Morgan Schneiderlin's time at Everton because I thought that we'd see Manchester United as a blip, his spell there as a blip, and then he'd get back to Southampton levels where not only did he screen the defence, but he was so mobile. He was scoring a few goals and just looked like he would dominate football matches. And I don't know where that went. I don't know where the conviction went in his game. And I just don't think we saw, we, we saw a few little spells where he, he did some good things, particularly at the start, but also under Marco Silva as well. I just think it, it was a real disappointment for the money Everton spent on him. And I was expecting much, much more. So maybe it gives him the chance to say his piece. Um, but I don't think necessarily Everton fans are going to change their opinion on him um, after after reading it. No, I think you're, you're probably right on that one. Uh, but it is nevertheless worth uh, worth a read. Well, thank you very much for listening. And um, we will be back well next week to discuss the game at the weekend in Southampton. Thanks very much. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.